next door brother Three weekend rows of town By turning the whole place upside down Many awake will cause such a fuss It finally wakes the rest of us One man awakes with dawn in his eyes Surely then it multiplies Alright, um, well this morning I, I want to um, I want to give you a sandwich Is that okay? A bit of a spiritual food sandwich um, and so, uh, first of all, one layer will be love. So, so we'll have a layer of love, and, and then I'm going to chuck in some some thoughts around around faith, around doubt, around questions, and, and this word called homothumadon. And, and then we're going to have another layer of love. Is that okay? And then we're going to eat it. It's going to be yummy. It's going to be good. No turkey. <laughs> Just the turkey talking. <laughs> <laughs> I just say gherkin. Oh, I like gherkins too. <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, so I want to talk about these these things, um, and and uh, I want to start with this verse that I read uh, this week, and it's just really been something I've been meditating on this week, and just um, just it's just something that's brought a sense of peace to my heart. Um, and, and it says this, we, we don't yet see things clearly. And, and so this, this passage is in the passage of love, right? So, so 1 Corinthians 13 is the, it's the, it's the chapter on love. And, and we use it at weddings, and that's really nice, isn't it? We use it at weddings, and, and we say love is like this, love is patient, and all that sort of stuff. Um, I, I like to read it and put God in there. God is patient. God is kind. You know, like it's actually describing God. When a passage describes love, it's describing God. And so this is this is in this passage. It says we don't yet see things clearly. We're we're kind of squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. We'll see it as clearly as God sees us, knowing Him directly, just as He knows us just as he knows us. And this is the bit that, that's really um, struck me this week, that, that even though I might not have it all together, uh, even though I might not understand everything there is about God, and, and let's be honest, I don't understand everything there is about me, let alone everything there is about God, that, that in the midst of that, I can be assured that he fully knows me. He knows the best of me, he knows the worst of me, he knows my fears, he knows my hurts, he knows my pains, he knows all of that stuff, yet he loves me unconditionally. And I've just been resting in that uh, this week. And it says, uh, but for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us towards that consummation. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly and love extravagantly. And the best of these three is love. And some passages will say that these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. So this passage reminds me that in the midst of my unknowns that he knows me. He knows my deepest thoughts, my greatest fears. He knows my doubts. But I am wrapped in his extravagant love. I love that um, when Paul describes our relationship with God, he, he describes it as a know and be known relationship. A know and be known relationship. In Galatians 4, he says, But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, I love that. It's almost as, as if he's writing it and going, 
Now that you know God, actually, rather that you are known by God. Like this is, this is, this is God, that he would fully know us. That he would fully know us. In 1 Corinthians 8, he says, but the one who loves God is known by God. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So the greatest of these is love. So that's, that's one layer, love. So why don't we just take a moment. Just, just put your hands out like you're receiving a gift. Like you're receiving a gift. This just reminds us that our role is to receive, not achieve. Father, we thank you for your love this morning. And we receive your love. We thank you that we didn't earn your love. We didn't achieve your love. You have given it so freely to us. So we receive your love this morning, Father. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Amen. All right, so that's one layer. That's one layer. Uh, I want to play a game uh, with you this morning. It's a game that I heard uh, last Sunday night. And, um, and so if you were uh, at the young adult service last week, um, don't ruin it for me. But I, I heard a, a, a young woman uh, speak last week and she spoke brilliantly um, on, on this thought that I was actually carrying already in my heart for this week. And then she had this, this great little game. So, so I, it's called the opposite game. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to yell out a word and then I want you to yell out the first thing that pops into your mind that is the opposite of that word. All right. Does that make sense? So we'll start with something easy. All right. Uh, darkness. Good. Hard. Oh, yeah, easy or soft. There's two. Yeah. Oh. Up. Doubt. <laughs> yeah, all right. Now, that's what we're going to talk about. Doubt. Doubt. What is the opposite of doubt? Some of us, our first response is to say faith. Our first response is to say belief. Uh, actually, the opposite of doubt is certainty. The opposite of doubt is certainty. And I, I think that in a lot of church circles, it's often taught or implied that, that doubt is a sin and, and to, 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 that the opposite of doubt is faith. Um, but I would actually like to suggest that the opposite is true. I, I would like to suggest that actually certainty uh, actually can become an idol for us. And that certainty seeking faith can become a hindrance to our relationship with Jesus. Why? Because certainty can actually become our safe place. It can actually become our place of security. It can be the place that, that we feel safe. And so we have to feel certain to feel safe. I would like to suggest that I don't know if there is faith outside of doubt. We're going to unpack this a little bit this morning. See, certainty seeking faith wants everything neat, and tidy and safe. But actually what often certainty reveals is actually there's an insecurity and a doubt that is lingering beneath the surface. And I, I believe that we should be a church that's okay with questions, that's okay with doubt, that's okay with uncertainty. I, I think they're actually really important for our journey. I, I, I want to start a doubters club. 
Like genuinely, I want to start, you watch me next year, I'm going to start a doubters club because I've met tons of people who have a belief in God, but they have a whole lot of doubts. And unfortunately, if we have communicated that doubt is a sin or is, is unwelcome in the church, we are communicating to people that have doubt that they need to have it all figured out before they can walk in the doors. But actually, we should be a safe place for people that have doubts, a safe place, place for people that are uncertain, safe place for people that have questions. I've got questions. Oh, no, like I read the Bible and I've got more questions at the end of it than I do answers. But, but come on, the questions lead me to the answer. His name's Jesus. He's the answer. So I believe to journey is to question and to question is to journey. A guy called Francis Bacon once said that he who questions much learns much and retains much. I've also learned that uh, when I have lots of questions, I've also got to be good at listening, especially listening to the Holy Spirit. So I want to give you a litmus test this morning for something. Um, and I was thinking this week about, about following Jesus and, and how do I know if I'm, if I'm really following Jesus? Like, how do I know if I'm, I'm being transformed uh, by the, my mind has been renewed and I'm being transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus? What would I look like? What's something that I can like, put my finger on and say, here's a thing that, that I can sort of, that's a good litmus test. Uh, I think one of the things that we could say is probably um, that I would become more like love. So I'm becoming love is probably a good one, but, but that's a little bit vague, eh? Like, like, how do I put my finger on that one? That's a little bit vague. And, and how could my wife put her finger on it? Um, so I asked my wife this question. Um, how often do I say I was wrong? How often do I say I was wrong? And is that something that she hears me say? I was wrong. And, and she said, that I was wrong lots. So, so that was good. <laughs> How often do I say it? Yeah, no, she said I do. <laughs> Which is good. I thought I'd better ask before I, before I get you guys to ask that question. But, but here's the point. The point is this, is that, that if we are being transformed by the renewing of our mind, so, so the renewing of our mind is this idea of repentance, and it's changing our mind. So it's saying, I, I was wrong about thinking that way, and I'm going to turn and, and I'm going to think this way. But if we are never wrong, how are our minds ever been transformed into the image and likeness of Christ? At some point, we have to own, I was having some stinking thinking about that. And now I, I, I'm going to think about, about Jesus this way. I'm going to think about myself this way. So if we are never wrong, how are we, how are we being transformed by the renewing of the mind? So here's a good question for you to ask, maybe someone close to you, maybe your spouse, if you're brave enough, ask them this question. How often do I say I'm wrong? Am I brave enough to admit that I was wrong? See, repentance is literally the process of unlearning. It's to unlearn the lies that we've believed about God is to unlearn the things that we've believed about ourselves. And so, so how can we truly enter into a, the renewing of the mind through repentance unless we are unlearning the lies? Challenging thought, eh? A little bit for us to munch on. 
I, I really like what Steve uh, said last night when we, uh, last night, last week. <laughs> Uh, he made a, a, a comment, and, and uh, some of you may have picked up on it or not, but he said, oh, I'm really concerned about people that think they have it all together. And I agree with that. I'm really concerned about people that think they have it all together. Uh, you know, if we think that we have all of the answers, if we think that we've got the Bible figured out, or we've got the right idea about this and the right idea about that, oh, I'm concerned about, about people that have that perspective. See, I haven't got it all together. And that is okay. Because Father knows me. He knows my deepest fears. He knows my greatest regrets, my deepest pains. He knows the worst about me. He knows the best about me. And he loves me. And that's really safe. I feel really safe in his arms. So doubt. You've all just joined my doubters club. Welcome. I'm sure that we all have doubts if we, if we honestly got honest about it. Um, uh, but unfortunately, unfortunately, doubt has often been seen as taboo in the church. Some of us might have doubts about the Bible. Some of us maybe have just become believers in the last week or so, and, and we're going, I have so many questions. Welcome. Welcome to the family. Some may have doubts about church. Some may have doubts even about Jesus. But the opposite of doubt is not faith. The opposite of doubt is certainty. Uh, I, well, what's the opposite to faith? I think if we start to think about the opposite of faith as control, then we're probably getting pretty close. The opposite of faith, we're getting pretty close when we start to think about it as control. See, the word faith carries a lot of baggage as well, mostly because it's probably thought as a, like a psychological concept. Like, like something that I have to muster up within myself to believe. And, and, you know, we have all sorts of silly ideas about people not getting healed because they didn't have enough faith. And, and all, you know, all of this sort of stuff that we sort of, we build theology around our experience rather than actually understanding what faith really is. And I think if we were to think about faith, I think a really good word that we can uh, maybe insert there so that we can unpack some of the baggage is this word allegiance. Allegiance. To have faith is to have allegiance. See, biblical faith makes room for doubt. It makes room for uncertainty. Our faith or our allegiance is not rooted in our certainty, but rooted in his love and the authority of his kingship. Um, years ago during the war, especially during the, the American Civil War, they had um, what they called flag bearers. And I don't know why, I was reading about it the other night, and I'm like, I don't know why, but it seems ridiculous, but the flag bearers would run into the battle first. And so, I mean, what, what a crazy idea, eh? Like, here you go, grab a flag, you go first. And so the flag bearers, they were literally like, I mean, it was like a suicide mission, I guess. They would run into the battle, and they'd have about 25 of them ready. So if one got taken down, the next one would pick up the flag and run on. And I don't know whether they were meant to run in and put the flag down and say, woohoo, like... But, and, and there was this sense that they would run in with this idea of, like, for king and country. You know, like, they'd lay down their lives for, for the king and, and for their country. And, and they would just go in, like, like, let's be honest, complete uncertainty. Like, what is going to, well, I may be certain that they're going to die, but, 
But, but you know what I mean? Like there's just this unwavering uh, sense of allegiance to their king and to their country. And there's this picture, uh, a drawing um, that someone has, has done of one of these flag bearers. He, 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 you can see the wounds all over him, and he's hanging on to this flag while the next flag bearer is trying to rip it out of his hands so that he can take it forward. And, and this flag bearer is hanging on to it saying, no, my job's not done. You know, like, like he was so committed, so committed that he didn't want to let go of the flag. Uh, this is faith. To, to have an allegiance to Jesus the King. That, that we would run headlong into uncertainty. That we would run headlong into doubt. And we would say, for king and his kingdom. Now we're starting to get a, an idea of what faith is. Because I'm fully loved and I'm fully known and I'm fully united to him. I, I can run headlong into uncertainty with unwavering allegiance to Jesus the king. It's quarter past 11. I'm not going to finish this message. We'll pick it up next week. Um, but a few, a few um, uh, maybe last year I think it was, I, I talked about this idea of a Jenga tower, that, that our, our belief systems are like a Jenga tower. And, and we build a, everyone know what Jenga is? You know, that game you put the blocks in and you, you pull one block out and the next person takes you. So, so our, our belief system can be a little bit like a, a Jenga tower. And we have all of these blocks that we've inserted and they're, they're our systems of belief, the things that we believe about things. Um, and, and, but often we, I, I have discovered, anyway for myself, that a lot of the blocks in my Jenga tower were actually just borrowed ideas. There, there were ideas I had borrowed off my parents. There were ideas that I had borrowed off of other, uh, you know, of leaders. And this is, you know, when I'm younger. And, and, and so uh, my Jenga tower is built up with all of these ideas, these, these systems of belief. And, and then life happens. And, and, and then something happens like we lose a child. And now I've got to wrestle with this block that I had in there that was just a, it was a borrowed idea about like God is, you know, like, Nothing's going to happen to me. Do you, do you, like these kind of ideas that life is going to be perfect because I'm with Jesus now. And I've had to pull that block out and look at it and wrestle with it and say, well, what, did that, what was that really all about? And, and I, I feel like sometimes um, because um, doubt and uncertainty is almost taboo in church, it's almost like we, we feel like we are um, not being faithful if we, if we look at these things. Uh, but actually, we need to wrestle with the, these things. And, and it's okay to wrestle with these things. It's okay to not be certain about everything. It's actually okay. And so, we, we, you know, and so what happens if we don't wrestle with these things? That, 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 block, that Jenga tower is going to come crashing down at some point. And we're going to look at it. At, at, well, what, what is that all about? What was this all about? I've discovered that the firmest foundation for my Jenga block is love. That I, my safety and my security is in the love of God. And when my safety and security is in the love of God, I feel really comfortable about pulling some blocks out and asking some questions. Having some doubt and wrestling with it. It's a safe place. I was talking about... Um, uh, this was uh, someone online just recently, 
Um, and, and he made this comment, which I thought was really helpful. He said, sadly, some people don't know that they are radically accepted and of infinite value to God. And so they have to find acceptance and value through belonging to a Christian tradition, often one that upholds their own rightness and superiority. I think it's a spiritual heart issue more than an intellectual one. And so what, we, what can happen is that we actually have allegiance to a belief system rather than the king. But our allegiance is to Jesus, the king, not a belief system. And what happens is we often borrow ideas instead of owning them. And so what gets taught from one generation, we borrow that idea. And then when someone questions that idea, we feel very unsafe as it was actually a borrowed idea. We don't know what the foundation of it is. So we need to be okay to pull it out and wrestle with it. This truth needs to become revelation for me. Otherwise, it's just a borrowed idea. Let me briefly talk about um, this. Jesus is king. In Mark 1 verse 15, um, Jesus said this. He said, the time has come and, and the kingdom of God has come near. Haynes just quoted that before. The kingdom of God came into that hotel room, hospital room. The kingdom of God came to that hospital room. Why? Why? Because Haynes and Karen were there. And the kingdom of heaven is within them. Yeah? The kingdom of heaven is in you. And it's at hand. The kingdom of heaven has come near. This is what Jesus' message was. And he says this, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Uh, uh, the word gospel literally means good news. Repent and believe the good news. What is the good news? I'll give you a hint. It's up on the wall here. Jesus is king. That is the good news. That is the message of the kingdom. That is the message that Jesus came to bring to the earth, that Jesus is king. And what does he ask of his followers? Allegiance. Allegiance to the king. Now, here's an interesting thought, is that Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. Well, the, the, my point is here is that repent and believe is attached to the message of the gospel, but it isn't the gospel. The gospel is Jesus is king. And, and faith and repentance is our response to this. Faith and repentance, the changing of our mind, the allegiance of our hearts to a new king is the response to the fact that Jesus is king. I want to lean into this idea that faith is the trusting, actioned response to the gospel. See, we are not saved by our belief in the right doctrine. We are saved because we have united ourselves to Christ, and that is demonstrated by our allegiance to him. I believe doctrine is really important. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a consumer of all, the, all of that stuff, but... But his, I, I grew up in a Christian home, and I believed all of the tenets of faith, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, like I, I knew them. Like I knew them. I, I believed them all. I believed all of the right things. But I did not come into like a saving salvation in my heart where my, my life was changed until I made Jesus Lord. So we can spend our whole lives believing the right things and never make Jesus Lord. Never actually make him the king of our hearts, the king of our lives. 
and we can actually find our safety and our security that we have believed the right things rather than finding our safety and security in the King who is Jesus. Let me just skip a couple of things. Maybe the um, worship team can come up um, and we can, we can bring this to a close. But um, next, next year we're going to look at this. I just want to just chuck that up there. That's the gospel in 30 words. But let me finish with this. Faith is a covenantal com- concept. Faith is a covenantal concept. So faith is the continual pursuit of Jesus in spite of uncertainty and doubt. It's the faithfulness and the unknown. It's the trust in the storm. It's the allegiance to him in the trial. So faith is a covenantal concept. Um, let me explain it like this. Um, when I married Ali, it was the greatest day of my life. Um, but I made a covenant to her. Anyone that's been married, you would have made a, a covenantal vow to your, to your spouse, a covenantal vow. And, and that vow was about how I would treat her. It was about how I would treat and love and accept and receive her daughter uh, as my own. That, that was one of the vows that I made on our, on our wedding day. Uh, I, I made vows to her that would, would communicate my ongoing commitment to her. Uh, who knows that I made those vows in the face of uncertainty? I, I made those vows in the face of uncertainty. And I said, in, in sickness and in health, I, I make these vows. In the best of our lives and in the worst of our lives, I make these vows. I said, you have my life. I lay down my rights to join my life to yours. I made a covenant with her. And we see the same thing in Jesus, that he, he laid down his life to join his life to ours. When we, when we, when we align ourselves to Jesus and, and, and bring ourselves into allegiance with him, we make a covenant with him. It's the same as when you got married. You made a covenant. And who knows that no one can be certain of happily ever after. I mean, that's, that's uncertain, eh? Marriage is a risk. It's probably the greatest risk you ever took. And who knows that my commitment to Ali is, is unconditional. It's not based on her behavior. It's not, it's not, I didn't make vows based on her behavior. You know, like, I'll love you if you. No, I made a covenant with her. See, faith is not about what's going on between our ears. It's not a psychological concept, but it's the action response of one's life to Jesus the King. When Haynes and Curran prayed for that young man, it wasn't something that they had created on the inside of them. It was this belief, Jesus is King, and he is King right here in this room. It wasn't that they had created some sort of faith within them that is better than yours or better than mine. No, they walked in with allegiance to a king who came to redeem the lost, who came to restore the broken, who came to heal the sick, and came to raise the dead. His authority, amen? Man, there's not a better king to have allegiance to. 
So what can we be certain of? Let me finish with this. I'll unpack some other stuff next week. We'll look at homothermidon next week. What can we what can we be certain of? There, there's one thing that's trustworthy. What one thing that's true. One thing that we can literally leverage our whole life on. And, and that's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We we make Jesus center of our life and we be okay with questions. We embrace doubt. But we can leverage our whole lives on Jesus and Him crucified. And, and when I say Jesus and Him crucified, I agree with Paul and his assumption of that, that it's not just about Jesus on the cross, but it's His resurrection and His ascension. It's the whole package. I better skip forward so that we can wrap this sandwich up. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that He's lavished on us. He has called us and made us His very own beloved children. You know, the most secure and safe place that you can find yourself is in the loving embrace of the Father. That is true home. You, you might have walked in these doors this morning looking for home. You might have walked in these doors asking these questions. And I believe that every person is asking these questions. Do I belong? Am I safe and am I secure? What, what authority, what purpose do I have and am I significant? These are the, the heart cry of every human being. These are only answered in the, in the arms of the Father. And His love and embrace. That's true home. That's true home. True north is Jesus. See, God's love is steadfast and it's unchanging. God's love comforts us. God's love is revealed to us through Jesus Christ and His, his love is poured into us through the Holy Spirit. And, and His love compels us to love one another. His love compels us to love one another. I mean, another litmus test is like, how do I know that I have discovered the love of the Father? When, when someone rings and said, my son can't get up out of the bed, something compels Karen to say, I've got to go. What, what is that? It's, it's love. It's the love of the Father. His love compels us to love one another. See what great love the Father has lavished on you. That we should be called children of God. And that is what you are. That is what you are. Let's just assume the receiving position this morning. Father, we thank you for your love. Jesus, we thank you that you demonstrated that love on the cross. 
We thank you that the cross is the picture of the new covenant paid for with your life. We thank you that you are true north, Jesus. We thank you that we can be certain of you. Whilst we might have doubts about all sorts of things, we thank you that that is okay. That faith is running headlong into uncertainty. It's allegiance to you and your kingship. Father, we just take this moment just to receive your love. Holy Spirit, would you come and just pour out the Father's love upon us? Father, we thank you that your love is not an abstract idea. It's not distant. It's not a, a concept just to understand in our mind. But, but Father, you, you literally pour your love into our hearts. thank you that your love satisfies us. It satisfies the longings in our hearts. It settles the doubts. I thank you that it's in your love that we find safety and security. We thank you that you know each one of us, every part of us, and yet you love us the most. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.